Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we have a couple things to talk about. So it's Monday, and let's see, last time we talked was Friday after CU's football game. Since then, Colorado fired Darren Cheverini, the offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach, uh, that was Sunday morning. Right after that happened, I went up to Boulder, went to uh, CU's women's basketball game. They beat Wisconsin pretty good, got out to a 10-point lead early. I think actually early in the second half, Wisconsin cut it to five points. And uh, for a second, you're like, okay, this might be a game. It wasn't. It, it kind of just lingered around double digits, 10 points, or 12 points, 9 points, whatever. And uh, Buffs were just in control. That's a really good basketball team. Um, and then that was the first part of a doubleheader. And so last night, Sunday night, the Buffs played Stanford in men's basketball. And it was, I mean, it was a CU men's basketball game, right? Like they gave up the first seven points of the game. They rallied back. They built like was it five point lead, seven point lead, or to to go into halftime, and uh, pretty quickly, I think ninety seconds into the second half, they were losing again, and went down to the wire. Buffs actually, so there was a timeout, three minutes and twenty seconds left, and it was a tie game, sixty six sixty six. Out of the timeout, Colorado had the ball in those 90 seconds, went on a 7-0 run. And there were a couple mistakes, a couple turnovers, those sorts of things. Um, but the the Cardinal never got the ball back within one score. Um, so, good game. Buffs win, pull out a close one. That's what they do. More notably, Evan Batty scored his 1,000th point and also his like 1,001st, 2nd, and 1,003rd point. Um, number 1,000 gets a lot more attention, though. Uh, it was it was an awesome night. He uh, he was getting he got standing ovation after he made the basket. Um, as he's going back, uh, he's smiling on defense like a guy's trying to post him up, and he's just standing there smiling. And 
It's just, uh, it's Evan Batty. It's Evan Batty. I think there was actually a foul on that possession, not not by Evan. And when the uh, Stanford guy was shooting his free throws, the crowd was chanting Evan Batty. Uh, just, just an awesome moment and one of many awesome moments that are likely to come for Evan in his last season in Boulder. Um, I actually had a chance to catch up with him this morning. I went to the basketball practice today and talk about all sorts of stuff. Um, actually, what happened was, so when you request an interview with Evan Batty, you just understand that that means you're going to be in the gym a lot longer than you uh, probably had planned. The way it works is like they get done with practice around 10 every day. And, you know, Carl, or not Carl, Tad brings everybody into the huddle, gives his talk about whatever he needs to talk about. Um, from there, everybody goes and shoots. Um, a couple guys have to sneak out pretty early because they've got class, whatever. And at that point, Tad comes over to us and we talk to Tad. And then we catch the players as they leave. Uh, somebody from the sports information staff goes and like grabs them on their way out and says, hey, you got to go talk to him or him and him or whatever. Um, I actually talked to Keyshawn today too about a bunch of stuff. Um, but while those are going on, you kind of just get guys as they're done shooting. And a couple of people on this team have a tendency to shoot for a really long time. And I, of course, started covering the buffs in 2019. For as long as I've been covering Evan Batty, he has always been the last one shooting. And maybe that's why he's 8 of 11 from 3 so far this season, which is just absurd for somebody who plays like he does. Um, but today, you know, it's it's 10 o'clock that practice gets over, and around 10.40 or 10.45 or so, uh, the managers had to to duck out. I think they had some sort of meeting or something scheduled for 11. Um, and, you know, th- there was like a couple of conversations, like at 1030, they're like, okay, well, like 15 more minutes, 10 more, whatever. And eventually it's, there's like, well, we've got to go. Sorry, Evan. And so I jumped in and rebounded some free throws for him. Um, did that for like 15 minutes and then talked to him on the record for another 10 minutes or so. And I'll play that audio at the end of this podcast. So definitely stick around and listen to that. We talked about basically everything that's going on. Um, last night, getting a thousand points, what that means to him. Um, just that whole situation, you know, after the game, uh, Peggy Copham brought her or brought Evan a, uh, a gift Nobody knew last night what it was, but I talked to Evan. I'll let him say what it was um, later on. But, you know, there's just you guys know how Evan is. And we talked for another 15 minutes after that. Just a, a great guy. We say this all the time, but it's because he makes it so obvious all the time. Um, so there we go. That's, that's kind of what's up. Um, oh, we also talked about this Wednesday being the final... Uh, road trip to uh, to LA for Evan which is where he is originally from he said at this point he feels like he's just from Boulder um, but he's been thinking about that obviously UCLA game Wednesday night um, so talked about that here's here's kind of the plan so today is Monday and so we will be First of all, talking about Darren Cheverini, that's some big news. Honestly, I've kind of shared all my thoughts because we kind of knew that he was going to get fired. 
Um, but we'll we'll kind of run through that, and I don't have a bunch of candidates lined up yet. Uh, maybe maybe tomorrow we'll dig in more of that. Actually, no, because tomorrow uh, will be Matt McChesney finally back. It's been like a month since he's been on the podcast. Um, just so 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 busy, and I mean, you guys know all the things he does. It's the end of football season. I think he said last weekend he was out at the Michigan Ohio State game. That'd be a lot of fun. That'd be a good place to be down on the field during all that. Um, so uh, I actually already did that interview. It's like five o'clock on Monday right now at two. I talked to Matt. He had a bunch of things to say. We obviously dug into all the things you expect. Um, Darren Cheverini, you know, where do the bus go from here? Um, Carl Durrell, what is his standing? Just so many topics. I think Without ads, it was like an hour and 10 minutes, hour and 15 minutes. And I'll put those ads in and get that up tomorrow morning. So that'll be up Tuesday morning. Um, really excited. He's He is just the best. Um, Wednesday, Colorado plays UCLA. Uh, we're hoping to have a live post game for that one. I, I still haven't mapped all that out, so I'm not totally sure if we'll be able to. Um, but the plan is to hang out and talk about the game. Um, it depends on like, do the Avs guys, Nuggets guys have the studio? Do we have a producer to do it outside? Uh, Dev is a Nuggets guy, so can he do the buffs that night? Whatever. Um, so hopefully we'll go live about the UCLA game on Wednesday. If not, we'll talk about that on Thursday's podcast. Um, and then the bus play on Saturday. They'll have uh, the game against Tennessee. Again, we want to go live after that one. And uh, we'll get a podcast either Thursday or Friday up for you guys. Um, or maybe both if we can't go Wednesday night. So there's the plan for the week. I am hyped. And I don't know. It feels good this basketball season. You know, I love football. And I my love of football is 10 times my love of basketball or any other sport. This was a season that needed to die. And it needed to burn after it died and it needed to have its heart stabbed with like a stake or something so for like vampire purposes and just a terrible terrible feeling after all of this and you know i i did when was that is it saturday i fired off one tweet that you know i knew that it was going to make people upset but there's a lot of things that i think you could critique this staff for um i mean a lot probably doesn't even emphasize it enough. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about, like, Carl's sideline demeanor. And it's like, I get that it's not as exciting as the guy who goes and screams a lot. But the truth is, there's a bunch of coaches who get praised for being that calm. Um, and, you know, I tweeted about that and started a bit of a ruckus. But it was a good way to cap the season off, I feel like. And, you know, it is what it is. You know, if if you lose, then your personality is not nearly as endearing as if you win, regardless of what that personality is. So it just, it's, it's honestly just nice that it's over. Um, real quick, Breckenridge Brewery, you guys have heard about them because I tell you about them all the time. They make really great beers. Uh, the Strawberry Sky is a classic. This time of year, the uh, Vanilla Porter is very good. Maybe maybe drink a Vanilla Porter Jr. in honor of Michael Porter Jr., who it sounds like will not be playing again this season, a season that has just been kind of a disaster for the Nuggets. Um, 
But yeah, so many good beers. They're huge sports fans down there. They've partnered with the Buffs. They've partnered with all the other sports teams around here. I think all of them. I'm actually not sure. I think they partner with the Broncos too. Um, I'm not. The Broncos just have so many things going on that you don't catch all of it. Oh, they they made the Broncos Country Hoppy Pale Ale. So at the very least, they've done that. Um, again, though, Breckenridge Brewery, they're local. They make great beer. That's why they've expanded. You can get their beers in 30 states now. And you can go down to the farmhouse in Littleton, get yourself a great meal. Just can't go wrong with Breckenridge Brewery. They support us. We like to support them. Also, if you go and go down to the farmhouse and get some food, or even if you just drink some Breckenridge beers, tag us, tag me, tag them, and let them, let them know that... We support them because they support us. Also, DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, I am I guess we usually don't get basketball lines until the day of the game. Sometimes like pretty late the night before you get them. I'm curious what these lines this week are going to be. Um, UCLA, I want to talk to Tad about it this morning. And again, he, he has a lot of respect for UCLA and recognizes what that team is, which is a really good basketball team. Um he also says, you know, I think the quote was, respect everybody, fear nobody. Um, but Tad at one point did point out, you know, they they lost like three straight. And I think lost out in the first round or their first game at least of the Pac-12 tournament. And then went on the run to the final four that they went on. So it's not like they're unbeatable. I mean, we saw what happened against Gonzaga. I'm not sure if they got doubled up, but they got pretty close to it. Um, I'm actually, I haven't seen the rankings for this week yet, so I'm curious where they rank after that. But point is, UCLA is a really good team, so I wouldn't be surprised if they are favored by double digits. It's going to be an interesting line. We'll talk about that when we see it. Um, but DraftKings Sportsbook, you can't go wrong. They've got all sorts of different boosts. Um, they have they have their own boost they put out. They'll say, like, you can get this guy to run for this many yards and it'll be at these odds, which are better than the normal odds, which are these. Um, but they also have my favorite, which is just boost. They give you. So like, I think on Sunday I got three 25% profit boosts. So for any NFL bet on Sunday, you get 25% of the profit. You know, you bet $10 to win $10. All of a sudden it's $10 to win 1250. It's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. And they gave out three of those. They're always doing that kind of stuff. And if you're a new user, they have an awesome promotion. All you got to do is use the code DNVR when you sign up. And you'll get $100 in free bets if the NFL team that you bet on, or if you put $1 on any NFL team and that team scores. You just download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code DNVR this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, let's dig into Chev here. Um, we said it all. We've been really hard on him in this podcast. Honestly, it's, it's been kind of crazy to see some of the reactions. Um, just let's tell the story of Darren Cheverini real quick, because I'm not sure everybody has that. Um, just, just kind of the highlights, you know, he played for the buffs in the nineties, fifth round NFL draft pick played four years, I think in the NFL wound up playing a season in the CFL as well. 
Um, he he was the first ever Buffalo Heart Award winner, and I think that means that they actually invented the award because of him. Remember, that's the one where there's fans who sit behind the bench, and it's just like a group of friends, and they gave it out to Darren. I've given it out every year since. That's the kind of buff he was, and you know, right now, feelings are honestly they're very mixed about Darren. But down the line, 10 years, 15, whatever, everything will kind of mellow out and he will have the legacy that he, he, he earned as a player. People will remember that potentially more than they remember this part. Um, that's always kind of the, the, the tough aspect of coaching at your alma mater. Um, it's different for somebody like Darian Hagen. It's, it, it's really rare that you blame a position coach for their position being bad. Actually, that's not even true. It's rare that you blame a running backs coach for the running backs being bad. And the reason is running backs just don't need all that much coaching. You know, there's definitely things you show them, some technique and pass protection and some of that sort of stuff. And if there is going the wrong direction blatantly, then yeah, that's bad coaching. But for running backs, a lot of it is like you either have it or you don't. You can either feel the hole developing and hit it hard, or you know you can either break tackles or you can't. You're either fast or you're not. You either hold on to the ball or you don't. And sure, coach might say, let's do this drill where we practice ball security, whatever. But it's not nearly as intensive, and it's not e- as easy to scrutinize as an offensive coordinator is because they make a decision on every single offensive play that fans get to evaluate. You know, the decision to run the ball or throw the ball. How do you run the ball? How do you throw the ball? All these things over the course of a game, it's just so easy to pick apart. And when things aren't going well, like they weren't this year, there's a lot of picking apart to do. And as there should be. I mean, he really, really struggled this season. Um, but, again, you you bring in somebody and put him in a role like that where it's it's very public it creates these mixed emotions because you see today, Monday, just an outpouring of support for Darren Cheverini. Not necessarily saying, see you wronged you and we want you back, but saying, wherever you go, we support you. We wish you the best. You're always a great buff. All those sorts of things. And it's just, it's nice to see because as much as fans have kind of ragged on Darren Cheverini, and as much as I have, I feel like I've been as hard on him as anybody in Boulder media. I, I partially because, you know, I have a podcast where we talk about these things every day. And when the team is bad on offense, it comes up every day that a big reason for that is Darren Cheverini. Um, but when fans are hard on him, he obviously sees that. And it obviously doesn't feel good. And he's obviously pretty hard on himself, too. He doesn't have any delusions about what happened this season. He knows that things went wrong, and he knows that he is at least in part responsible. How he breaks things down in his head, who knows? Odds are he probably gives himself a little bit more of a break. He probably says it's, you know, maybe one-third the offensive line, one-third the quarterback, and one-third the play calling that caused them to be a really, really bad offense. In terms of yards gained, the second-worst offense in the country instead of being a pretty average offense you know outside it's I don't know and this is this is another tweet that I fired off yesterday again it's just surprising to see some of the uh the ways that people are feeling right now again I'm not gonna really blame anybody for being upset that was a bad season and things need to change um 
I'm pulling up this tweet here. I tweeted so many times about basketball yesterday. There we go. Um, Darren Cheverini was put in a tough position. A freshman quarterback, no other option. Um, a bad offensive line, youth at the skill positions. But when only one team in the country produces fewer yards, this is what happens. And to say he didn't play a crucial part in the failures would be wrong. General consensus was that I was not nearly hard enough on him. Which, again, I guess when I was tweeting, I was like, the point of this tweet is to say, hey, it's not it's not the end of the world. But, I don't know. It's It's an interesting situation because really, I do think that the majority of the blame falls on him. It's tough when the offensive line is that bad, but that also kind of falls on him. He is in charge of that offense. And I talked about this with Matt today, and you guys can hear it tomorrow. But I think offensive coordinators don't always focus on the run game the way they should. I think that it's really easy to build all these interesting passing plays and different concepts and think through how you attack different coverages. But the way you attack different fronts is maybe more important. You know, when do you call these powers? When do you call these dives? When are you running zone runs instead of these power runs? The counters, the the jet sweeps off of that, which are an extension of the running game. The read options, all these different things that, you know, Darren Cheverini, I, I don't think had a great grasp of that. And I don't think he put his offensive line in a good position. Now, Mitch Rodrigue, in my opinion, in terms of the offensive line alone, did much more damage than Darren Cheverini. But if you had somebody who, you know, was an offensive line coach, who's now your offensive coordinator, would have been a lot easier for that guy to step in and say, hey, let's clean this up, let's clean this up, and be more hands-on. Um, and that's just, at the end of the day, again, everything falls on the offensive coordinator, and Darren Cheverini wasn't able to fix his offensive line. His quarterback struggled, which, you know, you can't totally put on him. It's a freshman who would have gotten benched minimum three games into the season um, if he'd even gotten the job in the first place. And that's if Shrout was healthy. Um, again, I do think that it was a tough position. I think that, hey, Lincoln Riley's in the news. If Lincoln Riley was running that offense this year, they 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 might break top 50 in the country. They're not probably top 40, though. The with the off if it, again assuming Mitch Rodriguez is offensive line coach for half the season, assuming it's still Brennan Lewis, all these different things, the injuries are the same. There is talent, but there's inexperience, and there was some serious lack of coaching at, at kind of the the position coach level that I do think was. I mean, it, it doesn't prevent you from being an average offense probably, but you weren't going to be special this season, and I think we all agree about that i'm curious um so yeah there's some thoughts on darren cheverini again great buff somebody who will be remembered forever one of the top 10 uh pass catchers of all time in terms of receptions um team captain in in the late 90s and it's just tough to see him go but again it's nice to see people support him because he has not he has not had a good time recently. And it, again, that's kind of the nature of the beast when you are an offensive coordinator at the power five level and your offense really, really, really sucks. But on a human level, you do feel for the guy a little bit, even if I got what he deserved is kind of a bold for in terms of getting fired. Yeah. In terms of just being harassed constantly online. Eh, 
does anybody deserve that is the question. And if anybody does, then, you know, he's he's up there on the list. But um, there's Darren Chevery. In terms of where they go from here, whew, it's, a, it's a tough question. I, uh, I decide if I'm going to bet, I think they pull somebody from the NFL. Um, I know that that ruffles some feathers. Again, there's when when things are going wrong and they are absolutely going wrong with the CU football program it's easy to be upset and it's tough to blame anybody for being upset but you got to give them a chance right like otherwise what are we doing here um i don't here's a hot take i don't care quite as much about recruiting from the offensive coordinator spot. I think we saw with Darren Cheverini, just your impact as a recruiter diminishes significantly when you are coordinating the offense, when you're building all these things, um, when you're calling the plays. There's just so many responsibilities that fall on the offensive coordinator, and recruiting is one of them, but if, if they're one of seven, if recruiting is one of six responsibilities for a running backs coach, for example then it's one of 15 or one of 20 for the uh, offensive coordinator. And again, how do you recruit good players? Well, you go in there and you win them over and you tell them what they But also, you win football games. And the way this staff is built, where, again, and this is another thing I said yesterday, I think Carl gets seen as an offensive head coach. To me, he's more the CEO head coach. Um you know, he's more in the Nick Saban mold than the Lincoln Riley mold. Lincoln Riley's out there calling plays. He's designing everything. Whereas Nick Saban, I guess they, they do run a defense that he he and Bill Belichick really developed. But he's not calling plays. He's not teaching guys how it works. He's not making the little tweaks. If somebody comes to him and asks for help, sure, yeah, then, then he's there for that. But he's not doing that day-to-day, trying to think up new whatevers. Um, and that's more Carl Durrell. He he lets his coaches coach, and if they don't coach well, then he changes them out. Um, it's very GM-like, and some people like it, some people don't. We've seen it work. We've seen it not work. I don't think that it really changes whether it works or not based on whether you're the CEO or the offensive head coach or defensive head coach or whatever, um, but I do think he was pretty hands-off, and, you know, there's... When your hands off and things go wrong, there's one big pro and there's one big con. The big pro is that you know Darren Cheverini does not deserve to be your offensive coordinator at this point because you gave that man every possible opportunity to turn things around. You know, if Carl Dur- D- D- uh, sorry jumps in mid-season, mid-season and says, Darren, I am now taking over play-calling duties I'm scripting the early game plays. I'm changing up this and this and this to the scheme, and it works. Then where are you at the end of the year? Because the offense is going well. What you're doing is working, but you know how much of it was Darren Cheverini, and where does that put you? And I guess when you go that extreme, then you probably just move on from him anyway. But it does create this gray area when you are kind of overbearing. And I think that Carl is very micromanaging in a lot of ways, but he really does let his coaches coach. And again, the con is that they lost a lot of games where I think if Carl had been more hands-on, 
better things might have happened. And this is a team that really needs to be winning more games. Um, same time, though, you learned about Mitch Rodriguez, you let him go. You learned about Darren Cheverini, you let him go. And there's potentially plenty more on the way. Um, I, I mentioned this before. Chris Wilson signed a three-year contract as the defensive coordinator uh, before this season. So he has two seasons left. I think he's making about six hundred grand a year. Um, they, they would have to pay basically $1.2 million to him to, to fire him. Um, Darren Cheverini, by the way, is getting paid 600000 for next year. Um, and that's a big number. And also, I don't. I don't think that they would want to fire him anyway. I think that there were definitely some struggles, but they probably point to the fact that the offense kept putting them on the field so much, which means all of the counting stats are going to be worse. And it also means that um, they're going to be more worn out and you're going to see worse play. It also means more injuries, which is the other big factor. The, those guys were banged up. So I don't think that Chris Wilson would be let go anyway, but it's not really an option because of his contract. He's under contract for two more years, and then only two other coaches are under contract for next year. And that's the tight ends coach, Brian's, Brian Cooks. Brian Cook. Tight ends coach, Brian Cook. Wow. Um, and then the uh, inside linebackers coach, Mark Smith. Everybody else is not under contract. I think that when you figure out who your offensive coordinator will be, and I've heard that that will likely be sometime in the next two weeks or so, then you probably make those decisions with your offensive coordinator. Um, but we just kind of have to wait and see how things go. And hopefully they bring in somebody exciting. Again, we'll, we'll potentially talk more about candidates at some point this week. It's tough to come up with a list because Carl's coached so many different places you know there's there's so many guys I think Brian Howell just put out his list of 10 today um, and also said they're gonna play it close to the vest we're not going to hear anything all those sorts of things but you know I one of the names that I I would throw out there uh, Mick Lombardi he is the son of Michael Lombardi longtime NFL executive who's now a pretty successful sports media guy, football media guy. Um, but he's he's coached with Carl before. He was an assistant, I think, with the Jets when Carl was there. Um, he's now with the Patriots. Um, he's been there for three years. The last two is the wide receivers coach, 33 years old. You could, you could see Carl going after him, right? He checks all the bo boxes, has a crossover. You like seeing guys who coach for the Patriots. You, uh, you know... 33 has progressed to this point. Next step is probably a college um, college coordinating job, assuming, you know, Carl actually had a good impression of him when they worked together. And when he calls up the people at the Patriots who he knows, because he knows people with every team in the league, specifically, I mean, he knows a lot of people with any of the um, West Coast type of teams. Um, but, but with the Patriots, too, you know, when he calls them up, do they have good things to say and say, yeah, this is actually a bright guy who has a bright future. You should try to bring him in, um, whatever. There are so many guys who you can find every every year that he was a coach, which has been a lot of years. Um, there's probably two, three guys that you could say, yeah, you know, if, if, if he actually wound up as the offensive coordinator, it, it would kind of make sense. It would add up in a way. Um, and then you get to the fact where, you know, really anybody he worked with might have a good recommendation. And you get to the fact that 
he he might just go totally out of the out of the blue and bring somebody in, somebody who's a coordinator at a G five school that has a good offense and interviews and kills the interview. There, there's just so many different ways that this search could go. I'll come up with some names too. Everybody's just guessing, but we should know in a couple weeks. And everything else will get figured out from there. Um, rest in peace to the Darren Cheverini era. It was uh, there were some good moments. You know, they use a big part of that offense that got to the Alamo Bowl last year. Um, you know, it was the, the was it the 2019, no, 2018 season? They started 5-0 and and then lost seven in a row um, when they lost Visca. You know, in the first five games, you're saying, wow, this is a lot of fun. This offense is great. Didn't really find a way to go win games without Visca. Um I, I don't think they ever finished. No, they never finished in the top half of the Pac-12 in yards. They finished top half of the Pac-12 twice in points. And both of those were like number five and number six, something like that. Um, again, best to him. Wish him luck. Um, always a buff. Was very clearly time to make a change. Um, Real quick. Want to tell you guys about our friends over at Snooze Sleep. So I actually was not a part of the group that got to have a free mattress. Mostly because I don't think people think that I'm a very sensitive sleeper would be the way that I read into that. But Snooze is a great option for those of you who do have a more refined sleep taste. Or even if you don't, it's still just a good mattress. But Snooze Flip is one of the most universal mattresses on the planet. Uh, you can customize your sleep experience to fit your needs. One side is soft, one side is firm. You can flip it so that whatever you like best is what you're sleeping on. Plus, the cover is reversible. So one side makes things five degrees cooler, the other side is warmer. And so you get basically four options. You can get your choice of whether you want like soft or firm, your choice of whether you want cooler or warmer, and just figure it out from there. So really, it's a four-in-one mattress. Um, it, it expands quickly, so when you order it from them, you can be sleeping on it the same night that you uh, you you get it. Um, and they want you to be a, a part of the Snooze Sleep community, a community of go-getters, hustlers, athletes, entrepreneurs, people who need to energize their bodies so they can wake up amazing the next day and conquer their biggest dreams and biggest goals. So definitely make sure that you uh, check them out. You can use the code DMVR and save $250 on your mattress purchase. Uh, it's $250 off with the adjustable base too. Uh, queen mattresses save $500 with the ad adjustable base. That's 500. That's a crazy number. Um, and if you get the dual split King, the savings are $1,000 with the adjustable base. All you got to do is use that code DMVR. So head to snoozesleep.com, grab your snooze flip mattress today. That's snoozesleep.com and get your snooze flip delivered straight to your door. Happy sleeping, happy recovery fam. All right. Um, let's jump into the game from last night. Um, we're not going to talk too much about the women's game just because we don't have a lot of time. We'll start following them more. I think, like, I'm at least going to go to a bunch of the games and tweet about them so you can follow along there. We'll get some talk in, but we'll go a lot heavier into the women's games 
in a couple of weeks, basically once this staff gets figured out. Um, there's 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 more changes on the way, and we got to stay up to date with all those. So it's going to be basically 50-50 talking about that stuff, talking about this basketball team, and then we'll kind of get into the real offseason for football where we'll, we'll, we'll throw some more women's basketball in and uh, see how things go. Plus, I mean, if, if things are quiet, then we'll get into the women's basketball stuff a little bit closer or a little bit more sooner. Um, the men's team, though, against Stanford. 80-76 to 76 win. They did what they always do, which is stress me out. Um, they, like I said, went down 7-0 early. They weren't shooting the ball well. Um, just kind of, in general, playing ugly basketball, and you can leave it at that. Then everything clicked, and they went on a crazy run. At one point, they went on a... Uh, I think they scored 12 straight. I think that wound up being like a 20 to two run, something like that. Maybe was, I know it got to 18 to two. I think it got to 20 to two before Stanford scored again. So explosive, so long defensively. This team has some really, really, really great pieces. And right now we're seeing Evan Batty develop into just another level of player. You know, I was pretty vocal before this season saying that I didn't expect him to improve much in terms of scoring. Um, he was putting up about 12 points per game. Just didn't project as the kind of guy who could throw another gear in there. Um, he, he needed people to pass him the ball. Um, he he wasn't knocking down three-pointers, but the three-point shooting is really what changed. You know, he's, he's now 8 of 11 on the season. He went 4 for 4 from 3 last night, and every one of those, the crowd just goes insane. There was a stretch where I think he had 3 within, like, 2 minutes, and then he just does what he does. He's running across the court. He's hyping the crowd up. He's pounding his chest. He's flexing his muscles. And we talked about some of that, too. You can hear him talk about that in just a couple minutes when I'm done. Um, but just all the things that he provides, just immeasurable. Some of them, I guess, are measurable. You know, you can look at the box score and say, 32 minutes, 8 of 11 shooting from the field, 4 of 4 from 3, 2 of 2 on free throws, couple of boards, limited the fouls, threw an assist in there, had a block, had a couple of steals, puts up a career-high 22 points. He'd, done, he'd hit 21 twice in his career. Goes for 22, a new career high. Does it incredibly efficiently. Crosses the 1,000-point mark for his entire career. Just incredible. And I think he becomes the fourth player in his class. It is four. Um, him, McKinley, Deshaun, and Tyler Bay have all scored 1,000 points. And that's just some context for what he's going to say later on. Evan Batty, though. it's This is his team. And... And you guys know how college basketball works. Half of it is being good at basketball. Half of it is just magic when you get to the end of the season. The magic is maxed out. The being good at basketball part is still kind of TBD for this team. We know they're talented. We know they're talented. <laughs> um, but there's points where you look at them and just say, what the, are, what the, what are you doing out there? What are you thinking? Um... We'll just run through some more of this real quick. You know, Tristan Da Silva, he was 2 of 4 from deep. He's really starting to find his game. 13 points, second most on the team. Um, four assists for Tristan. He had one really great pass to Evan where Evan is kind of like posting up. He's kind of squatted down pretty low for, for him. Um, the defender halfway between those two 
is tall, he's long, he jumps up in the air, and Evan or Tristan somehow throws a little touch pass over his head, drops it down to Evan, who's down low. And you just see things like that, and you're like, this is what Tristan's all about. Um, this is this is why he has the hype. And I mean, there's going to be NBA hype when you're six foot ten and you're a wing. That's the way it works. You know, you look across college basketball, and guards you can get away with some stuff. But in terms of your three, your four, your five, maybe twenty percent, maybe ten percent have the build that would allow them to play at the NBA without something going just crazy. You know, for for everything that Evan Batty is, he's also a six foot eight center, and and that just doesn't really exist in the NBA at this point. Um, who knows? You shoot eight of eleven from three, whatever that rate is over the course of the season. Who knows? And it's Evan. You know, I'm not gonna put anything past him, but he absolutely 100% projects as a really good European pro basketball player, not an NBA player. Can't really argue with that. Although, again, he's just... We know how Evan is. Um, Tristan just has the talent and is still putting it together. And we've seen it click over the course of these last couple weeks, and that's really exciting. He was he was the second to last person out there shooting today, which is notable. Um, Jabari, again, dominant in stretches, puts up 12 points and 13 rebounds. Throws an assist in there. Only one foul. That might be the biggest news. A couple of steals, a turnover. He's starting to turn into a good basketball player. And that's kind of the process for 80% of this team is turn from a super talented person to a good basketball player. Um, Jabari's getting really close. There was one defensive possession where he is just locking a bigger guy down. He's not getting pushed around. The guy's trying for five seconds to to find a way to get a shot off um, in the post. He can't even get into the paint on Jabari. Eventually has to bail out, pass it over to whoever Evan's guarding. Or no, it was to Tristan's guarding. But we'll get back into that in a second. While Jabari's defending like this, the bench is going crazy. They're getting hyped. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, Jabari, okay. And then three seconds in, you're like, Okay, Jabari. And then by the time the guy passes the ball, the bench is just losing their mind. He's starting to have moments like that. You know, he's had the blocks, he's had the dunks, but he's starting to get moments like that. Um, Forces the pass, and the guy turns, and Evan sneaks in and gets the ball away. People go insane. That was during the same stretch where the Buffs are going on this run. Evan's hitting these three-pointers. The crowd's losing their mind. Um, The team is magic. The team is magic. Lacking some things, but magic is a good thing to be when it comes to college basketball. Uh, Keyshawn, 1 of 8, uh, 0 of 3 from 3, hit his 8 free throws, including a bunch of them. I th- at least 4 of them were in those last couple minutes when uh, he had to he had to keep that lead. Um, no turnovers, though, and he's making some more passes. 3 rebounds, 2, uh, a steal, 10 points. Again, not a good shooting night. But I talked to Keyshawn this morning, and basically said, you know, you put up 19 points and 20 points and 22 points. It was an incredibly hot start to the season. After that third game, Tad said, yeah, he's playing great. But now is when defenses adjust and say, okay, we need to find a way to shut this guy down. Um, we we have the tape. We know what he does. Let's scout him. Let's beat him. And ever since then, we've seen a bit of a turn. And and I, I'm sorry. That was supposed to be the question. That was not the question. But that's what Tad said. Um, I asked Keyshawn about that whole thing, though, and he said, yeah, I absolutely feel the difference. Um, they are guarding me so much deeper now. 
Um, and it really is opening things up and it's making it easier to distribute. But there is a big difference. And that's kind of the next step for Keyshawn. And eventually, more of these guys will get to that next step. You know, eventually, Tristan's going to be the kind of guy where the other team says, oh, wow, you really need to key in on him. We need to guard him out here. Or we need to double him when he's in the post or whatever, 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 depending on where he really does grow. And those are kind of the steps for a basketball player's development. You know, first of all, just being good enough to be on the field, or sorry, the court, um, and then to the point where you're good enough that they're going to scout you, and then to the point where they're good enough that they're going to scout you, but it doesn't matter. You're still going to be efficient. Um, you know, Keyshawn, you can't be looking at these games as a disappointment, I don't think, just because it's coming because he's drawing attention. Um, he does need to get past it if this team is going to be special, but this is kind of just that next step. Um, Elijah Parquet missed his two threes, two of five from the field, six points, a couple turnovers, a couple blocks, a steal, some good boards, um, some early foul trouble. I don't. It wasn't a good night for Parquet, but it also he wasn't far off. You know, he was defending well. You know, you're not asking for him to score a bunch of points. You know, two of two of five for six points. You're never going to be excited about it. But when that happens, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's that's Elijah. You know, on the nights where he's three of five, obviously that's kind of the big difference. <laughs> does, does he wind up 40% or 60%? Um, not going to harp on too much. The bench is what I think is really interesting. And I asked Hat about this, and basically said, you know, the you're paring down these rotations, obviously. Luke O'Brien gets four minutes. Lawson Lovering gets eight minutes. Is, are these decisions you're making beforehand, or is it kind of just who's who's playing well that night? And the answer, it's kind of in between. A lot of it is based on the opponent, though. And they're playing a big team. They're going to be playing a big team again, and that's going to influence the rotations. And he said, again, very much like Tad, right here, the practice practice gym that's uh that's where you you earn your minutes and again that's that's why Tad has been so successful here because he holds true to all of those values um the the bench did struggle though KJ Simpson played well oh also KJ Simpson he is the freshman of the week in the Pac-12 love to see that he uh he was so explosive last night and was able to get to the rim whenever he wanted but he did struggle finishing, despite struggling to finish. And a couple of those, you know, we kind of there were a couple of finishes that were way off. And it's just what happens when you get among the trees in there, and you're so small, and you're so new to this game. But he was still five of eight, and he was one of two from three, twelve points. It was a good night for KJ, and I think we'll see more and more of him as we keep going forward. Outside of him, there there were some struggles. The rest of the bench combined for five points, um, on two of seven shooting. 14 minutes for Neek, 8 minutes for Lawson Lovering, 4 for Luke O'Brien. I'm not worried about Neek. I think that he's shown enough that you can expect better nights from this going forward, although this was a bad night, to be very clear. Um, Lawson still just needs to... I, I've said this over and over again. There's going to come a point where everything just flips, and all of it starts working. I thought he, he was a little bit more patient last night. Um, the shots looked a little bit better. Uh, he, he had two assists as well, but still you just, and he had two points. He, there's, there's obviously he's not where he needs to be. Um, Luke O'Brien, 
four minutes a point honestly not too much to get a taste of there at one point there was a board he probably could have gotten that kind of just got through his hands not a lot of minutes for him he's one of those glue guys though you know he's he's big he's strong he should be able to defend he should be able to rebound um can can he find a way to make a couple of plays offensively to justify 10 15 20 minutes that's kind of going to be the next step for him um overall though the buffs find a way to win it's an ugly game they beat Stanford. They beat a conference opponent. They're one and zero. They're six and one overall. It's good stuff. And uh, Stanford again, not a bad team. Probably the best team they've played. Pick ninth in the Pac-12 in the preseason media poll. Um, but you know, as long as the Pac-12 wins seventy-five percent of the non-conference games, and they're just behind that, they should be able to get to uh, get to six teams in the NCAA tournament. So if you can beat number nine. You're on your way. Can you beat number eight and number seven and become number six? That's kind of a big question this year because if they get in, it's going to be because they snuck in. Tough games coming up. You've got UCLA Wednesday night. You've got Tennessee on Saturday afternoon. You win one of those two, you are in incredible shape. You drop them both, it's going to be disappointing for sure, but it's also probably what you expect at this point. Tennessee's top 15 in the country. Uh, UCLA was number two before losing to Gonzaga, so I don't, I don't know where they are now. Uh, I think those rankings have come out, but, you know, Colorado's just not in the place that those two teams are. At least, we don't think so. And that's how you play the games. That's going to do it for me. Um, but here is Evan. If you guys have stuck around, Evan is... Again, the best. Like I said, had a chance to hang out with him for like 40 minutes today. Uh, rebounded some free throws. Got to show off my agility a bit. Talk about a bunch of things. Um, but then also get these 10 minutes kind of mostly to talk about last night in this UCLA game. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. I know I did. And I will see you all tomorrow with uh, Matt McChesney, which I'm excited about that too. So you got over 1,000 points last night. Mm-hmm. What's, what's just that number mean to you? Uh, the number itself doesn't mean a whole lot, um, but the fact that me and my other three um, classmates in my class all reached that milestone mm-hmm. just, you know, is indicative of what we set out to do here, you know, mm-hmm. when, we, when we committed here, is to yeah. advance Colorado basketball to the next level, to the next step, and really just um, just try to rep the state as best we can, so... I mean, the numbers all fall later in life, mm-hmm. but um, just it speaks to the hard work, speaks to the dedication, and just the level of commitment. What's it like being the last one of those guys still around? Um, it, it, it's it's good and bad because it's good because I can tell him KJ stories, you know, <laughs> about McKinley, and he can kind of figure it out mm-hmm. and figure, you know, just take things take things like he, like, like he likes and incorporate it into his game. And then for our younger guys, you know, just like Jabari and Tristan, you know, sharing all the things that T-Bay did mm-hmm. and for our wings, Deshaun. So we had, like, great mo- role models through all our positions, you know. Ken, Deshaun yep. at the wing, T-Bay at the four, me at the five. So, I mean, it's – we just I, – I, I can't really speak of the words because – it's harder to imagine. I, I I really can't believe it, honestly. It's so surreal. It's all four of us, and you know, just it's really indicative of what we came out to do when we committed here. What's your favorite McKinley story? Huh. My favorite McKinley story. There's so much time spent with him. I just. It's tough. Yeah. It's. I say. I say. I say. 
You need a second thing. Okay. About it. All right. Okay. Um, you know, so after you hit a thousand points, they have like the announcement. You've got like the standing ovation while you're playing. You were on defense, just smiling. Uh, they're, they're chanting your name as the other team is shooting free throws. Does that stuff get distracting at all when you're out there going through it? Um, I've always been able to differentiate game and crowd and other stuff, just miscellaneous stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I can kind of switch back and forth better than mm-hmm. most people can, so that's why I can smile, that's why I can, you know, <laughs> talk with the crowd, I can give a head nod here and there, Oh yeah. you know, just pump up the crowd, because, you know, I'm very good at going mm-hmm. in-game without games, so, um, you know, it's all fun, it's all fun in games, basketball is a game, you know, <laughs> so it's supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be enjoyable, so, um, yeah, it doesn't get distracting, it just gets more fun. Yeah, case. yeah. You had the stretch. It was like in three possessions or something. You hit a couple threes. Right. And, I mean, there were steals on the other end. There was all sorts of stuff going on. Right. And you went and hyped up the crowd. Right. Do you, when that's kind of your role on the team to bring that sort of energy, is there, like, a, a, a pressure that comes with that? Because there's definitely, like, a pressure to, like, if you're the point guard running the offense, right. being in charge of that. Right. But to be the guy who the crowd kind of looks to, right. do you feel that at all? Um, it's not no pressure because that's who I am. Honestly, yeah. So, it, it, you don't get, you don't feel any pressure to be who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, you be who you are regardless of the situation. Mm-hmm. So I'm always be my energy. I'm always be myself. So especially after I make a good play. So why not? <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's, um, you know, it's it's really indicative of just my my commitment to my team. Just to, I know how important my energy is to mm-hmm. my team, and um. It's been like that for four years. It's been like that for five years, actually. You know, yeah. even my redshirt year, I'm on the bench, standing up, talking, you know, just yelling out a bunch of shit, even while I couldn't really talk. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's always been that way. It seems like, especially earlier in the season, uh, was it a Montana State game? One of those early games where it was close. Yeah. But you were on the bench. It was late in the game, and, yeah. and you were you were like up out of your seat. You were yelling. Yeah. yeah. And then everybody else kind of followed you off the bench. Right. Like, do you, do you feel like there's a role to kind of show them what that end of the bench? I think I think the main lesson here uh, in me, you know, energizing my team is that energy elevates. Um, hmm. Energy elevates whatever you do, honestly. If you do it with great energy, you're going to probably be better at it. Mm-hmm. So um, I just try to make my guys understand that. And even when I'm not in the game, I'm still in the game. So. Huh. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. Yeah. After the game, Peggy gave you a present? Yes. What What was that? It was a, actually a framed picture of me and her at Buffalo Bill. It was like four <laughs> weeks ago, so after the Nebraska okay. game. So, yeah, it was uh, – I actually have it in my uh, in my apartment uh, in my uh, on my shelf, and it's already there, so I love it. It seems like every game you're talking to her. Just yeah. how, how did that relationship come to be? Um – I mean, usually, um, not usually, but before her sister was passing, they were usually mm-hmm. stayed like down under the basket together, mm-hmm. and me and McKenna, Deshaun, you know, just mm-hmm. go over and give him a hug and everything. But this year, I mean, especially factoring in last year that they weren't here, yeah, it's just all the more special, honestly. And, you know, I'm so fortunate to have her, you know, back in the building. I'm cherishing every last moment I get in this building. So. Um, you know, it's 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 of utmost importance this year. Yeah. Um, you know, after that, you get into the locker room and everybody's throwing water at you, throwing ice at you. 
Just what, what is that that experience like to be in the college basketball locker room in that situation? Yeah. Um, personally, I never I've never had myself be the focal point of it. You know, okay. I've I've celebrated. I'm usually the one who. Hey, let's get the bar balls. Let's, you know, let's get the ice. Let's get, let's get them, you know. Yeah. Well, I actually, I, I asked Tad, and Tad said he didn't, the coaches didn't plan it. I asked yeah. Keyshawn. Keyshawn said he didn't know who planned it. I, I still can't figure it out. I can't I can't even figure it out who planned it, who did what. But, I mean, usually I'm the one who, you know, just says, yeah. like, oh, let's get them. And whether it's Coach, <laughs> whether it's McKinley, whether it's Tyler, whether it's Sean. Um, but we, we, we like to make a habit out of you know, emphasizing winning. Yeah. You know, if you don't emphasize winning, it's not it's not fun, you know. Yep. You know, it's it's a fine line between winning and losing, and you know, if we lose that game and I score I score a thousand points, we don't do that, you know. That's the reality of it. So, yeah. Um, the the most important thing is the win, and then the second most important thing is you know my teammates and you know they show me a lot of love, and I mean it's all good to them, you know. Mm-hmm. I've been blessed to play with great players over the years who fed me the ball I mean when I was shooting layups and you know just not hard <laughs> shots at all so um I'm just really fortunate man yeah. yeah um you know next game you get to go back to LA yeah. what do those trips mean to you those trips mean the world to me because it's a chance to play in front of my, my my whole family mm-hmm. you know my hometown just you know just be home be back in the city for mm-hmm. a minute you know because I think Boulder's my home now you know it's mm-hmm. it's kind of feeling like that now it's just but um, just it's it's good to be back in the old stomping grounds and you know just see see all the places I I visited and see how the lanes I traveled you know just mm-hmm. growing up so um, it's I mean it's it's a very uh, gratifying you know experience. How many friends and family do you think are going to be there Wednesday? Whew. it's a tough ticket to yeah, get to. I, I, I'm I sure. got I got eleven tickets so okay. Uh, I'm gonna have you know. It, Maybe my family there, but um, my friends gonna have to buy, it, buy the tickets on their own. So <laughs> um, I, I I can't call it right now, but uh, if you ask me like on Wednesday morning, I sure I'll give you a number. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have many of these trips left, and you'll it's have the USC one. game. Do you not go to USC? Mm-mm. Wow, it's the last one in LA. So. You spend time thinking about that at all? Yeah. Um, actually, last week I was reflecting on like my time. Mm-hmm. the past three years, I'm like, damn, my time in the Gillen Center is really over, you know? I've had, a, I had I'm had, 3 and 0 in that building, you know? Feels good. Uh, I've had some good stretches in that building, so um, I can't complain. Uh, I think I'm 2 and 2 or 2 and 3 at UCLA. It's a big one, then. Counting my red shirt year, so 2 and 3 at UCLA, so, um, you know, I'm ready to get up there and, you know, compete. That's all I want for my guys. That's all I want out of my guys, compete and just be tough. So, Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all I got for you. All right. Appreciate cool. it, though. Seriously. Right, yeah, for sure.